Praise the Lord. What a wonderful song. Well, as Samuel said, my name is George. It's George Clayson. And I come from Derby, down in England. And I've come to just to share with you a little bit from God's Word. But before we do that, I'd just like to have a, a word of prayer and ask, ask for God's help. Father God, I thank you and I praise you for what was done on Mount Calvary. We, we thank you and we praise you that you sent your Son to die upon the cross to redeem us while we were yet sinners. And they rose again on the third day, victorious, triumphant. Pray, Lord, as I bring your word now, I pray, Father, for your help and for your strength and for your anointing. And, Lord, that you would be glorified. Pray, Father, that you'll give ears to hear and that your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll begin this evening with our reading. And our reading is found in Mark chapter 1. It's Mark chapter 1. And it's verses 1 to 8. And just as Samuel was singing about Mount Calvary, it dawned on me while I was thinking about it that the person who died on Mount Calvary, Jesus Christ, was not just a man, but he was the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. And that really is, is the focus of the message tonight, the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so let us read God's word together. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John did baptise in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of, Jeru and, and they of Jerusalem and were all baptised of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a, with a girdle of skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. The passage that we've just read begins with a profound statement. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The statement, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is really a profound and amazing statement to make. Mark, who is the author of this gospel, he is saying that the historic person, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one who was born in the first century, born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, the one who was a carpenter by trade, this man is the Son of God. That is a profound statement to make. This man is the Son of God. How can we know whether that statement is true? Is there any evidence? Is there any way 
to prove it, or are we just to expect it? Uh, are we just to? Uh, are we just expected to believe it by blind faith? Can we know whether that is true, or should we just blindly close our eyes and hope for the best? Well, the only way to know if things are true, the only way to know something is true, is by having conclusive evidence. In a court of law, the best evidence that one could have is multiple witnesses who agree one with another. And in this passage, in these eight verses that I've just read, this is exactly what we have. In this passage, we have three witnesses that bear record, that bear witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And as we think about the claim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, as we think about that claim, it would help if we think about the other claims that are made about him. The claim that he died for the sins of the world. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again back to life from the dead. The claim that one day he will return to judge the world in righteousness. The claim that today he gives eternal life to all those who put their trust in him. The claim that he is the saviour of sinful mankind. If the claim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is true, then no doubt everything else the Bible says about him is true as well. And so in this passage, we have three witnesses that witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The first witness we have is the witness of the Old Testament. The witness of the Old Testament. In verses 2 and 3, we have two quotes that are taken from the Old Testament. The words, as it is written in the prophets, show us that these quotes are taken from two different prophetic books. The first quote, which is there in verse 2, is taken from Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1. And the second quote, there in verse 3, is taken from Isaiah, chapter 40, and verse 3. These two quotes have something in common. Firstly, they are both predicting future events. These, bo both of these um, quotes are taken from the Old Testament, and they were both written hundreds of years before Jesus Christ came. Malachi was written 400 years before Jesus Christ came. Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus Christ came. Another thing they have in common is that, is it, is it, is that they, 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 they both predict that somebody would come before Jesus Christ to prepare his way. There would be a forerunner, someone who was going to come before him. Verse 2 says, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. And verse 3 says, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And this is exactly what happened. John the Baptist came before Jesus Christ to prepare the way. And this is what we see in verses 4 and 8. So we see in our passage, we see the, the prophecy, the prediction, and then immediately we see that it's fulfilled. And so we must ask the question, why are these predictions so significant? What is the big deal? The reason why they're significant is because they prove to us, they prove that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. He is. He was sent by God and he is God's son. They prove it. Jesus, when he was speaking to the religious leaders in his day, he said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Jesus said that the scriptures, the Old Testament, which was what he was referring to, he says they, they speak of me. Think of it like this. You have a friend who you know. You've, you, you, 
you, you know them quite well, you've been corresponding through email, but, but you, you've never seen them face to face, okay? You've only been contacting them through email, you've never seen them, you've never heard their voice. One day, you arrange to meet with that person. How are you going to know who they are? How are you going to recognize each other? You won't. Unless you say, for example, I'll meet you at such and such a place, I'll be sitting on the bench at three o'clock, I'll have a white shirt and a black tie. Then when the person comes and they see you at the, in the right place at the right time, having a shirt, a white shirt and a black tie, they will know that it is you. That's a simple illustration of what God has done in the Old Testament. That is exactly what God has done. God has told us, God told the Israelite people how and when Jesus Christ would come. They're called prophecies. Jesus predict, God predicted exactly how Jesus Christ would come. Here in this passage we have two mentioned, but in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's around 353 prophecies, 353 predictions that predict the coming of Jesus Christ. And they were all fulfilled when Jesus Christ came. For example, Isaiah 7.14 tells us that he would be born of a virgin, and he was. Micah 5 verse 2 predicts that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, and he was. Isaiah 53 verse 5 predicts that he would die as a substitute for sinners, that he would be punished in our place. And he was. That's, that, that, that was what he did when he died upon the cross. That's only a few of them. There's over 300 predictions that were all fulfilled by Jesus Christ when he came. This is a miracle. This is a miracle that we find in the Bible. A bit of maths for you. The probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight, just eight of these 300 or so prophecies is, is one in ten to the power of 17. Now, I wouldn't have known what that meant unless I googled it. But that's basically a number with 17 zeros. 17 zeros. If I'm wrong, you can correct me afterwards. But I believe that's a number with 17 zeros. A million has six zeros. Imagine one in a million. That's impossible. The fact for, just, for Jesus just to fulfill eight of these prophecies, it's one in ten to the power of 17. A number with 17 zeros. That is absolutely impossible. It cannot be done. It's impossible. No way. Yet it happened. Why? Because Jesus Christ is who he said he is. He is the Son of God. As verse 1 tells us, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And he did die to take away your sin. And to make you right before God. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ came to take away our sin. Yes, everybody has sinned, but sadly, not everyone has come to Jesus for forgiveness. And I want to ask you this question, are you forgiven by God? If Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he did die so we can be forgiven, are you forgiven? Are you right with God? Is he your saviour? The first witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is the Old Testament. The second witness in our passage is John the Baptist, the witness of John the Baptist. The two prophecies that we've mentioned in verses 2 and 3, they speak about John the Baptist and they, they, and, and they predict that he would come before Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was a prophet who was sent by God. He was a messenger who was sent by God. We are told that he baptised people in the wilderness 
and that he preached the baptism of repentance. He preached that people should turn from their sin, should turn from their lying and their stealing and their adultery, all of these things. Turn from them and turn to God. That was a message that he preached. And we're not only told what he preached, but we're told about what, what, what he wore, we're told about his clothing, and we're told about, uh, about what he ate, we're told about his diet. He was a strange man with strange clothes on a strange diet. Verse 6 tells us that he was clothed with camel's hair, with a girdle of skin about his waist. He had a leather belt around his waist and he was clothed with camel's hair. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And yet, although this man was strange, he was a powerful messenger of God, a powerful preacher. John the Baptist was a prophet sent by God to prepare the way for God's own son. We're told in verse 5 that everybody in the land of Judea and all of those in Jerusalem, they, 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 they flocked to him to be baptised in the river of Jordan. And they, and they confessed their sins. The people flocked to hear his message and to be baptised. He must have been a powerful preacher. Jesus himself tells us, among them that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John was a great man sent by God. Yet, he was sent to bear witness of one who was greater than himself. In verse 7 to 8, John says, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptised you with water, but he shall baptise you with the Holy Ghost. John bore witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he was coming after him. This man called John the Baptist, the great man who the Jewish people flocked to, the one who they all came into the desert to listen to, this great man turned out just to be a mere forerunner for the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist himself said that he wasn't even worthy to unloose the shoes of Jesus. John seemed to be great, but Jesus Christ is the greatest. John witnessed to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. A wise man once said these words, Jesus Christ is the centre of everything and the object of everything. And he who does not know him knows nothing of the order of nature and nothing of himself. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know him? The people believed what John the Baptist said about Jesus. Do you believe? Have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour? Or are you rejecting God's son this evening? So we have the witness of the Old Testament. We have the witness of John the Baptist. Thirdly and finally, we have the witness of the Holy Spirit. The third and final witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is the witness of the Holy Spirit. Look there in verse 8. In verse 8, John the Baptist, speaking of Jesus, says these words, But he shall baptise you with the Holy Ghost. John says, I've baptised you with water, but he shall baptise you with the Holy Ghost. The word Holy Ghost is another word for the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. The Spirit of God. John is teaching what Jesus Christ himself taught. 
That is, when we turn to Jesus Christ and put our faith in him, he gives to us his Holy Spirit. That is what is being taught there. Jesus called it being born again. Being born again. Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit in John 15 and he said these words. He says, but when the Comforter is come, the Comforter is another name for the Holy Spirit. It says, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, or he shall bear witness of me. And so we must ask the question, how does the Holy Spirit bear witness of Jesus Christ, that he's the Son of God? I've just mentioned it briefly. It's he witnesses in the life of a believer. It's when a person is born again, when a person is transformed by the power of God. When, when someone comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, God gives them, graciously gives them his Holy Spirit. And he, the Bible speaks about, about becoming a new creature. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This is what it means to be born again. Born again. Through this inward change, the believer is convinced without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This change is exactly what happened to me. And that's how I know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Before the Lord came into my life, I was aggressive. I was violent. I was a criminal. Every day I was committing crime. Every single day. I loved my sin. I hated the things of God. But God came and he saved me and he transformed me and he gave me a heart full of love and, he, and now I love people and I love God and because God has transformed me and he's changed me and he's given me desires to live for him and to love him. And that's every day I live, I live for Jesus Christ. How is that possible? I tried to change myself, I couldn't. It's the power of God that changed me. By the grace of God, God gave me his spirit I'm born again. There's a song that says, I am a new creation, no more in condemnation. God saved me, and that's how I know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, because he's baptised me with the Holy Ghost, as it says there in verse 8. Now, there's an important teaching we must note about this subject. The Lord Jesus said that if you are not born again, if you are not born again, then you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Heaven's door will be closed to you if you have not experienced the new birth, if you have not been born again. That's what Jesus said. He said in John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God. You can go to church every week. You can give all you have to the poor. You can give your time to help people. Yet if you are not born again by the Spirit of God, the Bible clearly teaches, Jesus Christ clearly teaches that you will not see God's heaven. You're still in your sin. And the Bible says that nothing sinful, nothing that defiles will enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you were to die in your sin, if you were to die in your sin, without the mercy of God, without forgiveness, without the cleansing, without being born again, if you were to die in that condition, then I must warn you this evening in love, in love, that it's not heaven you'll be spending eternity in. It's hell. It's hell. 
I listened to a sermon about hell last night, and you know the worst thing about hell is not necessarily the suffering and the torment. It's the fact that it's forever. It's forever. The Bible says the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and ever. Jesus Christ says, you must be born again. And so we have the three witnesses in this passage that all testify to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We have the witness of the Old Testament. All the prophecies that predicted the details about Jesus' coming were fulfilled. Right down to the, to, 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 to the last full stop. All of it is fulfilled. We have the witness of John the Baptist. This powerful preacher sent by God. Witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is greater than himself. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we have the witness of the Holy Spirit. He transforms the hearts and lives of those who believe in him. We have three reliable and unquestionable witnesses. In a court of law, this would be an open and shut case. In closing then, to answer the question that we asked in the introduction, can we know whether the statement that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is true? Can we know whether, that's, whether that statement is true? The answer is yes. Yes, of course we can. But there's another question that we must ask, and that is, it's a personal question for every single person here. Do you have him as your saviour? Do you know yourself as you're sitting there whether he is your saviour or not? The person next to you might not know, but you know, and God knows. Yes, he's the son of God. Yes, he died for your sin and rose again victorious on the third day. But have you come to him for forgiveness? Are you born again? The Bible tells us that all have sinned. We've all sinned. That's a fact. Everybody's sinned. But do you know what one of the greatest sins is? What I believe one of the greatest sins is, is rejecting God's Son. Rejecting God's Son. God sent his Son down from heaven. His glorious, his wonderful Son, the darling of heaven, he came down and he died upon a cross, an agonizing and humiliating death upon a cross. He hung there naked upon a cross, suffering. He did this to pay for your sin. And then God rose him from the dead on the third day. But you say, I don't want your son. Thanks, but no thanks. If, that's, if you're rejecting God's son today, that's, that's what you're saying. I don't want your son. I don't want Jesus. I don't care. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're rejecting God's son. Maybe you've rejected him your whole life. I want you to know this evening, there is still mercy. There is still mercy. Jesus Christ, when he died upon the cross, do you know what he said? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus Christ died for those who would reject him. He died for sinners. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he died to pay for your sin, and he rose again on the third day. And if you come to him, if you come to him, yes, you might have rejected him your whole life, but if you come to him, the Bible, Jesus says, if he that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. He will welcome you. He's waiting for you. He will forgive you. If you trust him as your saviour, he will save you. He will change you. And he will prepare a place for you in heaven. Will you come to him? That's the question. That's the question that you have to answer yourself. Will you come to him?
Will you be saved from your sin? The choice is yours. Let us just have a brief word of prayer. Father God, I praise you and I thank you for your word and for the testimony of it. We thank you that it is truth. We praise you for the gospel and the wonderful message that it is. Pray, Father, you'd apply your word to each of our hearts. Those of us who know you, I pray, Lord, you burden us to preach the gospel to the lost and to live for your glory. And for those, Lord, who are here that are still outside of the kingdom, pray, Lord, that you'd bring them to yourself tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.